So I'm speaking with the awesome and talented Gabriel Mann. Uh, Gabriel has made his unique style and approach well known over the years across many films, TV shows, and even video games. Uh, some of your favorite shows are all supported by Gabriel's music, such as Ma Modern Family, uh, Rectify, and The X's. Uh, Gabriel also has three pilots that were picked up, including Angel from Hell, Dr. Ken, and Rosewood, and is also attached uh, to score the upcoming TV series adaptation of School of Rock. Uh, Gabriel, thanks so much for uh, speaking today. My pleasure. Uh, so to start, I, I always like to, to know uh, how composers, like how did you get involved in music, and at what point during that path did you decide to focus on composing for film and TV? Uh, I w it was not in my plan. None of it was in my plan. I was going to be a doctor. I was pre-med. Wow. <laughs> uh, the University of Pennsylvania. I also majored in music there, and I basically liked it better and wasn't doing particularly well in either because my brain was exploding. And so at some point in my, after I had basically completed pre-med and I had one more year of school left, I, I basically changed and was like, okay, I'm going to just do music. Wow. And I didn't know what to do about that. And I, I, there was somebody who had gone to Penn who I w was friendly with and he had gone to the USC film scoring program. And so I was like, oh, well, that sounds like something I could do. And I talked to Buddy Baker, who was in charge of it at that point. And um, he was like, yo, send me some music. And uh, so I sent him three things. And that was it. That was like literally the whole application. So I went to USC for a year after college. And um, I did that. And I worked for a few years in various random jobs after that i worked for electricia doing wiring wow <laughs> like studio wiring and uh then i worked for a couple of different composers i get a guy named dennis hannigan who at the time was doing i basically my job was to drive from his house in topanga canyon to uh paramount and like take spotting notes and deliver a hard drive. This was like before everything was delivered on Dropbox. Right. <laughs> uh, and then I met another composer in Topanga Canyon, literally at the post office and started working for him. That was Russ Landau, who now his main claim to fame is Survivor. Right, yeah. uh, but at the time we were doing other random television shows. And then I went to work for David Schwartz, in his studio and I worked there for about a year, a year and a half. And during that time I made my own album as an artist, my first record. And um, basically decided this TV music thing was lame and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was, it, it was like, I didn't understand why people enjoyed it. And it seemed like a big headache to me and not that fun. And, uh, <laughs> and so I left and went and not, not that any of the people that I worked for were a problem. It was just the job itself didn't seem attractive to me anymore. I, at the same time, I was very young and wanted to be a rock star. So it was, may just have been that that was more appealing. Um, but I never had an issue. Like David was a great mentor to me. And so it wasn't his issue. It was just my own personal issue. Right. Anyway, I bailed. And then I started working at a studio that two friends of mine 
were like, hey, if we build the studio, will you work there? And I was in a singing group with them, and we sort of it became our our group studio, and we made our own record there. And uh, I sort of made a living as a producer, mixer, engineer person, and sort of cut my teeth on Pro Tools and figuring out how to run a studio. And and at the same time, I was playing shows uh, as an artist. And I did that for many years, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, then somewhere around like 2005, I did a tour. Like my, I made a my second to most recent record. And I did a tour and I came back from the tour with Alanis. I was opening for Alanis Morissette. It was like the greatest. It was a great tour, really yeah. fun. And I came back and... Uh, David called and asked if I would write songs with him for Arrested Development. And at the time, you know, Arrested Development, it was the very beginning, so nobody knew that it was going to be as awesome as it is. And anyway, so we did that, and it was really fun. We, I would just go in there every couple of weeks, and we would write funny songs that Mitch would tell us to write. <laughs> and um, and that was sort of like a segue back into it. Mm-hmm. Um I then did a few years working with David on other shows also. So we would continue to do Arrested Development stuff, and then I would work with him on other comedies that he had. And uh, and so I gradually got back into it, and then at some point um, one of the directors of one of these shows had a pilot, and I did his pilot, and that pilot was Modern Family. Wow. And that was a big uh, that was a big change because suddenly I had a show with my own name on it, and that show was a huge show. So yeah. it was very very lucky. And right at that same time, I had a new band, uh, which was the Rescues, and the Rescues also did very well very quickly. We were we got a record deal, and we had all these placements on Grey's Anatomy and suddenly we were doing all kinds of stuff and I had a new baby and everything was going insane at the same time. And so I was touring and writing cues for Modern Family from the road and I had a baby at home and it was just out of control. It was a crazy time. And then, and basically since then, the rescues sort of did their thing we still exist and we are making a new album now. Uh, and in the meantime, there's another kid and more shows and modern family's still on the air. And that's where I am now. And life goes on. Yeah. Life goes on. <laughs> it expands. So, I mean, your, your body of work has really spread across many different genres. I mean, you're working in comedy and drama and all sorts of things. And, uh, but I think the most challenging in TV, I guess even in film would be comedy, and you have two hit comedies in *The Modern Family* and *The X's*. One is single camera, uh, one is multi-camera, um, live studio audience, and everything. Does the different formats does that affect the way you approach the show and what it needs musically? Well, for sure, a multi-cam and a single camera are like totally different animals. A multi-cam is like a uh, the, it, there's not you don't have to think that much. The thing that the only thing there is to think about is the sound of the theme and then that dictates the rest of the cues mm-hmm. usually in a multicam. 
it's not always the case, but it's it was the case in the X's, and I have another uh, multi cam this fall uh, called Doctor Ken with Ken Jong, and and that is a similar situation. There's we have a theme, and then you make these little transitions, and you sort of bank these transitions and and put in ones that make sense for whatever's happening, and uh, it's really sort of like a paint by numbers kind of. Right. The, the challenge for those is making the sound in the first place. And what is that sound going to be? And how do you make it unique? And, and, you know, how do you invent a new genre of music for this new show? And how is it going to be appropriate to whatever the show is? With a single cam, it's like, it's more like scoring a regular, like, you know, it's, it's a little more like scoring. You're matching, you're, you're, you have to, see what's on the screen and match what's on the screen and do what is required of the to support the emotion of what's happening whether it's something funny or not like in modern family a lot of what i do is not the funny stuff the funny stuff is already funny and i don't usually touch that what normally happens in modern family is that there's a is that i'm scoring the more emotional moments of that show um and and then I also do other weird stuff, like write songs that Reed sings, or uh, write the songs that Alex's cello band sings, and uh, all kinds of source stuff. So it's sort of all over the map with Modern Family. And then there's occasionally we'll do like a one of these sort of more emotional cues that are like one of them. We there was a whole episode that was like a sort of not a knockoff but like a like a tribute to Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. They did a bunch of things like shot for shot on that. And so I did some like Apollo 13 music for like the big moment of that show. And um so that kind of stuff happens also. There was another episode recently that where we tried so, I mean sometimes we try crazy stuff and it doesn't always work. And we'll do it and then it will just not, it'll like be left on the cutting room floor, basically. Like there was an episode in the finale. We tried, I don't know if you saw the finale of Modern Family, but there's a scene where, where uh, Phil is, is in an iPad on a robot, like going around, like (laughs) this is on the iPad and he's where, anyway, we did a, we basically did a whiplash cue where, where, except we did it on piano. We're like, you know, that cue in whiplash where he's, He's just just patting the drums. He was just going and his fingers get all bloody. So we did that, and it didn't work. But I mean, it was funny, but it was like so weird that it like didn't. I you know I think ultimately it was decided that it was too weird. Anyway, so yeah, they're different. Yeah. Um, but in, you know, now on TV, it seems the you know the opening theme is one of the most important pieces of music for a show because it will be with the show for its entire life. It's the one piece of music that most people, uh, a general public, identifies with the show. And it's the you know, is it the first thing that gets composed when you get signed to a pilot? Do you immediately go to work on the theme, or do you start tinkering around with other areas? Maybe it depends. It depends. The, for Modern Family, it was the first thing. Really. And yeah. 
they they were like, we don't know what we're going to need, but I think we're going to need a theme. They didn't. They, they were not expecting to hire a composer, which is actually, I think, why I was able to sort of sneak in there yeah. all. Because I was not really, like, I, I didn't, I, I was not, like, going out for pilots all the time. This mm-hmm. was something where I happened to know the director from another thing that we had worked on. But I wasn't, you know... It wasn't like pilot season was coming and I was like, okay, well, what pilots can I try to get on? It, that's just not what it was. Yeah. And they, and and specifically for Modern Family, they didn't, they were not terribly interested in music. They didn't have an, a musical agenda. They were like, well, they, they weren't, they didn't feel like they needed one. And for good reason, there's, we barely have music in this show, like barely. Right. And it wound up being sort of at the, at the recommendation of the director, Jason, that like we put some stuff in here and there, not regular QE stuff, but like this sort of more emotional stuff. And, um, and also they were pretty sure that they wanted a theme. So I did a theme and, um, that was that. And the theme has very little to do with anything else musically that happens in the show. It's the modern family theme. We don't go back to like big band and haze throughout the show. It's just not, it's just not what we do in that show. And it would be, and in retrospect now, having seen so many episodes, it would be weird if suddenly there was a big band playing. It's just the theme of the show. And, and it's pretty unusual to have a situation like that. But like, even in like, well, I'm trying to think of another situation where there's a theme song that basically is just a theme song and doesn't really get referenced in the rest of the show. I don't know. I'm sure there are, there are other examples of that, but, um, the big story about the theme is that I did a bunch of versions and then they sort of settled on this one version. And then, um, there was another direction that was being explored at the same time. We were still exploring another direction uh, after like seven episodes had aired with him that is in there now. But ultimately that whole direction was sort of left. And that other direction was more like the cues at the end of the show. It was like a much different idea for the theme was much more the heartwarming side Mm. as opposed to the sort of like blatant comedy side. Right. Anyway. <laughs> but now on a completely different end of the spectrum, you also have uh, the hit Sundance TV series Rectify, which, you know, premiering its third season on July 9th. So for Rectify, we have, you know, character drama with shorter seasons, around six to ten episodes. So how do you score a show like this? Do you kind of take it one episode at a time, or do you have kind of a, do the writers give you kind of an outline of the season, you kind of sketch your score as a season-long arc type deal, or do you just kind of work as it comes along? I've never even seen a script for that show. Really? <laughs> I don't know why. They just don't think I need one, I guess. I I got The reason that I got that show in the first place was because I demoed for it. I, it, I, was, I was up against a bunch of guys, and they gave us a few scenes to write for, and... Um, and I met Ray after I did my stuff, and we... He liked what I did, so I was I was so proud to have gotten that because I was I could tell it was a great show, mm-hmm. and 
it's something you can really sink your teeth into musically. Right. Yeah. And it has a huge variety within its sort of like stark, uh, dark beauty. Uh, but in terms of like how I actually do it, I basically, we go like one episode at a time. I mean, sometimes there are sometimes when it, like, okay, in the first season, we spotted every episode, like a normal show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I would go in, I would talk to the editor, Hank, and who's not there anymore. He's on, he does um, The Leftovers on HBO now. Oh, well, yeah. So I would get together with Hank and Ray, and we would spot the show, and we'd talk about what they had tempted, in, and we would see, like, what we wanted to do differently. And at that point, we were also sort of developing themes around characters and situations and... Um, once we got through like a few episodes, we had sort of developed like a pretty solid bunch of themes. Uh, then what happened in the second season is kind of all hell broke loose. Mm-hmm. We stopped spotting. The, the schedule was very compressed relative to the first season. We had a lot of time. The second By the second season... Uh, there was just more episodes. The difference between six and ten for someone like Ray, especially, who is a real uh, artist and very hands-on in every aspect of making the show, uh, suddenly there was just barely any time to do anything. Wow. For, uh, for him. For me, I still had time to write. So what I would do, basically, is I was sort of a little bit left to my own devices. And I would write stuff they would temp stuff with some with things that we had had from before and i would try to expand on that and make things new and different and um now we're in the third season and we're kind of back to the schedule of the first season i think it's six episodes again i believe it's six episodes again and we have like all summer to finish the post basically mm-hmm. So I'm now, today, in in 25 minutes, I will have my cellist come in, and uh, later on, my guitar player will come in, and we'll sort of, it's it's written, I wrote it this week, we, spot, we spotted like a normal show again, it was like a real treat, <laughs> um, because you don't always get, I don't always get that time with Ray, and, and or at least I didn't in the second season. Right. So now it seems like maybe we're back on the schedule for the first season, which was, it was, uh, I don't know if it necessarily resulted in things being better, but it was definitely calmer in terms of, it's a, it was an easier working situation. It wasn't so hectic and chaotic. And I sort of got a feeling of what they wanted, whereas in the second season that was really sort of flying blind. Um which also can be fun and is a little more sort of risky and and you wind up with maybe some different stuff that you might not have wound up with. So I don't know if it's necessarily better or worse, but it's definitely calmer. Right. (laughs) Um, But now looking forward, you have a great slate of shows uh, that had pilots picked up. And uh, is it, I mean, is it challenging for a composer during pilot season when you, when everyone is scrambling to get, to get shows and your mind must be, I mean, how do you get in the state of mind when you're like, okay, we got to do this pilot and we got to do this pilot. And you, I mean, how do you find a soundscape for 
that kind of short amount of time for people are just trying to get stuff sold. I think you just you just have to be a certain kind of person. It's not it's not for everyone. I mean, this is like a very difficult and demanding job, and yeah. I think that what the thing that people don't think about when they're like, oh, I should just write music for TV shows or write music for movies. It's so fun. But what could be better? You just sit in the studio all day and like think of stuff and like make fun music. And that is true. That you do. That that is the best possible world. But then you get to pilot season because you need to get some new stuff going and you got to have work and it's very chaotic and it can be extremely stressful and you've got uh i mean not everybody does it the way i do it either i i, I have a an embarrassment of many shows and when you do multiple pilots it's uh you know, not everybody. Not everybody wants to do that. I sort of like to work a lot, so <laughs> it's part of my. And I, and I don't find it to be. I've gotten better at dealing with the uh, the multitasking aspect of it. I there was a time when I was like, how am I going to possibly deal with all this stuff? And now I don't really worry so much about that anymore. There's always a way to figure it out, and I also. I just sort of have it all in the front of my brain. I know what's the most critical thing to be happening at any particular moment, and it's just got to get it done. I also have help. You know, I can't do it all myself. It's impossible. But I have to be in charge of everything, and I usually have my hands on most of the stuff that comes out of the studio. So... But in terms of the actual pilots, it's uh, and finding what that sound is for the show in like a split second, you just have to do it. Like you have to dive in, and often, you know, depending on the show, you're given direction. Right. Um, sometimes you're not given direction, and that, and you have to provide the direction. Um, like for Rosewood, they were very specific about what they wanted, and. It's like set in Miami, and there's an African American guy and a Latina woman, and there, they have there's there's a there's some obvious conclusions to be drawn from that mm -hmm. uh, musically, and so, but at the same time, they didn't want it to be so obvious. So you know that there's a little bit of you have to sort of like turn up and down the degree of like Miami. <laughs> there's, like, there's like a Miami dial, and it's important to give it the flavor, but you don't want to be, you know, you can't, um, not every cue can be like a salsa. Right. right. So, and also it's a procedural. So like the, it's basically like a Miami procedural. So you have to figure out a way to like infuse it with the fun and the flavor of Miami, but also give it the, the, tension of the proceed and the like forward movement of of a procedural so that was to me that was actually very straightforward what's not as straightforward usually are the comedies the comedies you have to yeah. figure out on your own normally and they can tell you what the show's about and then and they might have an idea musically or they might not and then you just sort of like say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And sometimes I will give them examples 
that are in a particular style for the comedies, um, I'll be like, hey, I would like send 10 things over that are each like specific in their own way. Like this is like a, you know, this one has like Mellotron in it. And this one is like a, you know, all just blasting metal guitars. Like this one's just piano. And they can sort of sometimes see their show is in one of those. And sometimes they'll say it's not in any of those. And, but it'll make, it'll like spark the conversation. Yeah. You need to like, and that conversation has to happen very quickly. So like, I'll send it, they'll listen to it. I'll get feedback right away. Everything just happens faster in pilot season because there's, you basically get a month to do from, from like start to finish, depending on the show. Sometimes you get less than a month because sometimes you come on late and they either, uh, and maybe they haven't had any, they haven't even like thought about music because they're like, oh, we're not gonna need much music. And then they get to the end and they're like, oh my God, we need music. Um, anyway, it's hectic and chaotic and I'm glad it's over. <laughs> yeah. Well, the month of April, I just like, don't, I can't make any plans. I can't do anything. I see, don't see my family. I'm just here all the time. And the reality is that you can get a lot done if you only work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're only, it's the question, do you live to work or work to live? You know, it's the... Well, yeah. yeah. So in April, I live to work. I mean, <laughs> I must work in April. And the, and the, the fruits of that are always random. Like, it's not, you don't know whether your show is going to get picked up, whether your pilot's going to get picked up. You right. could do 10 pilots, none of them could get picked up. You could do, and I've had it both ways, where you do a lot and nothing goes, and or you do, like, one and it goes. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I guess you increase your chances of having a fall show the more you do. So that's why I did more this year and... I don't know, for better or for worse. It's, it's, writing music is really fun. Pilot season is not that fun. <laughs> yeah, that's more of the, I think, the business scramble of it, and it kind of probably yeah, squashes creativity. Uh, yeah. Bit. I mean, that said, like, I really think that the stuff that we have for, uh, for these shows and for the fall... I think they definitely like do something like we definitely did something. And sometimes when you're writing music, just cause it takes a long time, doesn't make it better. And sometimes right. when you're doing, when you're cranking it out really fast, that's when like magical things can happen. Yeah. When inspiration strikes. Um, yeah. You don't have time to, to <laughs> like, think, you know, instinct takes over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but before we wrap up, I mean, this has been just a fantastic conversation and uh, learning so much, but before we wrap up, I always like to ask composers this one question. Um, if you could score any film ever made, pretending the original score never existed... Oh my god, impossible. What would you choose? <laughs> um, that is such a good question. It's... That's too hard. Why is that so hard? What's a great movie? What's the first one that pops in your mind? The first thing that pops in my mind is a movie that hasn't been made yet, which is Ready Player One. I want to see that movie when it comes out. Which, and it's, you know, I don't even know if they've started making it. Have you read that book? Ready Player One, no. Okay. First of all, you should be reading that book. Okay. It's so awesome. And 
it's like right up my alley. It's about like old video games, like eighties. It's basically like eighties. Mm. It's must have been written by the guy. Must be like exactly my age. It's about cool eighties video games and like the future of the internet and where basically everybody's plugged in and that's like all they are. They don't have they they basically don't even exist in real life. I mean they have real bodies, but like when they go to school, they're going to school like on the internet. Right. So they only know each other's avatars. They don't like know each other's actual bodies. So this is not a movie that exists yet, but Steven Spielberg is going to direct it. I mean, it's going to be like the greatest oh, yes, thing. Yes, I read about that, yeah. Uh, and I can't wait for it, and I would like to do that movie, but they will not let me do it because oh. at least a massive composer will do it. You'd probably have to compete against John Williams. That might be tough. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to win. <laughs> Exactly. Or probably Michael Giacchino will do it because he gets to do everything cool. Uh, Michael's great. I love Michael. <laughs> I know. It's no fair. Um, but that would be great. I don't know. What are other great movies? I mean, there's so many great movies. I can't. That's too That's too hard. But Ready Player One. Okay. In a heartbeat. It's hard. It's That's a very unusual question because it's really difficult to imagine a movie unscored like how, what do you, like how can you think of Raiders of the Lost Ark in any other way like I don't I don't know like that's just too, it's too much to live up to <laughs> that's why you have to pretend like it doesn't exist like what's your yeah, what would be your favorite playground you know crazy. that's crazy <laughs> who can do that all right well Ready Player One's a great answer I never had one so say not a movie that hasn't existed yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> but Gabriel thanks uh, so much for your time today it was such a blast chatting with you and um, I know I love your work and I'm always looking forward to to what you have uh, coming up next so can't wait for this fall for all your other uh, pilots to premiere so <laughs> thank you very much uh, and best of luck <laughs> all right thanks good to meet you 